I'm Lisa Miller. Welcome to the Women's Well, a place to nourish your health and spirit. Well guests are ordinary, extraordinary women with a story. And in the telling, shine inspiration for all of us. Here at the Well, we're all about the wisdom that comes from the deep work of healing and finding humor in it, which is often right there next to the rough spots. At the Well, conversations make meaning from hardship for a life of conscious balance, a life of empowerment, and of course, joy moving forward. Jennifer Barber is here with me today, an attorney at the law firm Frost Brown Todd in Louisville, Kentucky. She served as a U.S. delegate to the United Nations in 2020, representing the United States during the 75th UN General Assembly. As a delegate, Jennifer guided and supported the United States efforts to safeguard the American economy, promote human rights, and deliver humanitarian aid. A mother of daughters, one of her passions is to empower girls and women. So it was especially meaningful when Jennifer delivered the U.S. Statement on Resolutions Concerning Violence Against Women and Protecting Children from Bullying. Welcome, Jennifer. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for having me. So when we chatted recently and I asked you about this path in your life from childhood dreams around success and making a life of meaning for yourself. I asked you about how it was that you found yourself a delegate to the United Nations. And you said it was a long journey. Well, I think just to start off, I'll give a little bit of background about uh, where I was before I went to the United Nations. And I was a lawyer here in Louisville, Kentucky, practicing tax law and really enjoying my career. And I spent a lot of time really digging into the tax code and trying to really um, learn as much as I can and be the expert in this field. And uh, over time, and as I started to climb that ladder, um, there was this sense of accomplishment, but there was equally a sense of um, searching for more meaning. And as I got to a partnership at, at my law firm and I started looking around and I, we had just had our second child and I started thinking, is there something more meaningful that I'd like to do in the area of public service? And I started finding ways and thinking about how I could do that as well. I've always been inspired by people who give back to their communities. And um, I knew that when my time came, I would try to do, do the same. But until then, I started serving on boards and um, really trying to plug myself in different roles and trying to help the younger generation as they were trying to navigate through that. So that was something that was deeply rooted in in, in something that I wanted to do. And along came this opportunity. For a long time, I had been praying about it and that I could find more meaning and give back more in my life. And um, that's a dangerous prayer, I think, to pray when you pray that God will use you in a more meaningful way. And you don't know what that's going to look like. But this opportunity came along to serve at the United Nations. Here in Kentucky, we have an, another Kentuckian who uh, was serving there, and that's Ambassador Kelly Craft. And um, she was the U.S. ambassador to Canada um, prior to that. And then as she went through the process of um, becoming confirmed as ambassador to the United Nations, it was something I followed with 
great interest and followed very closely her path and kept in touch with her. And um, after praying that prayer, she reached out to me one day um, and asked me if I wanted to join her at the United Nations. And in particular, in a role that would focus on human rights and humanitarian issues. And so I really felt called to do this. It was something that I felt was much bigger than the role itself, but it was, it was to fulfill my um, desire to serve my country, to serve my community, and to give back, and to try to use some of my skill set and apply it in a role where I could find greater meaning. And so um, I learned about that role and really felt a connection to it, the ability to serve our country and to focus on an area that I care deeply about, uh, both the areas of human rights and humanitarian assistance. You know, I can't help but hear the synchronicity and maybe the divine intervention between your prayer, use me in a way that serves others and Mm -hmm. the call that comes, the offer for you to be part of the United States team of delegates to the UN. So how long between your prayer and the call? Oh, well, you know, it's interesting that you asked that. It was almost immediate. I mean, this had been a long, uh, something that we had contemplated for a long time. And we were preparing to, my husband and I were preparing to make sacrifices for when that prayer would be answered. So it wasn't something that was immediate in our intent, but, you know, we long hoped for this, but we started praying. And it's interesting that you asked that because it, it kind of started that we were looking to move so that we could um, move into a home that was a little bit closer to our children's school. And as we prayed that God would use us in a more meaningful way and that he would guide us with this move. And when this opportunity presented itself, sometimes I think you don't know whether or not it is your calling, but when it presented itself, it included a move, a possible move to New York City to serve at the United Nations, depending on timing. At that time, it really seemed like two prayers were answered, that God was guiding us with the move that we had been praying about, and that God was calling me and my husband to do something more meaningful. So um, I would say that there was a lot of time between, you know, the planning towards it, but the actual prayer that God would use us. It was so apparent when I received the call from Ambassador Kraft about serving in that role. Um, And it was almost immediate that we knew that that was the answer. You asked, you asked for an answer and you got one. You really did. That's really fabulous. It seems that as you talk about the, the hard work, your intentions for creating a life of meaning is really a family theme for you. Will you mm-hmm. tell us about that? Sure. Well, my family, my parents and grandparents immigrated here from China now over 50 years. And so I am um, first generation um, and that really means something to me. And growing up, my parents, they weren't formally educated and um, they worked very hard. And so they were, they found themselves working in a lot of manual labor type jobs. So um, they worked in a variety of jobs until they sort of landed in the restaurant industry. And they really enjoyed that and were very talented at it. 
they eventually, along with my grandparents, opened a restaurant called China Walk, which is in Frankfort, Kentucky. And so it's a small town, locally owned Chinese restaurant. It's been in business now for 40 years, and I'm so incredibly proud of them. But I grew up working alongside them, and they were long days and nights of work, of really hard work. And I remember as a child going to school and I would ride the city bus to my parents' restaurant and I'd get there in the afternoons. I would do my homework there and I would play there and I would work there. And I even had a twin bed in the back where I would go to sleep at bedtime and my parents would carry me home in the evenings after they got off work. And so that was not a typical childhood, I, I, I don't think, but um, it was one that over time I have really grown to appreciate. And I can see a lot of the character traits that I have really were built from the early days of working in the restaurant, my work ethic, my ability to connect with people, a variety of people, just because you never knew who was going to walk in the door from politicians to um you know, just really ordinary, everyday people that would come in as customers to, you know, sometimes we would have a governors come in to the restaurant because we were in the state capitals. So growing up in the restaurant, I think one prompted me to have an interest in civic service, but it also showed me a diverse world of people and individuals that I, one, enjoyed connecting with, but two, really needed to as a matter of promoting our business and actually going to work every day. And so uh, I think that those gave me a skill set and a foundation that ultimately I've taken in my career, both in my law practice and at the UN, that has allowed me to really be able to connect with people and also um, never really forget my family's history and where we came from. And I've always understood that it was that my parents' hard work and sacrifice that allows me to do the work that I do today and that has paved the way for my children to have a better future than I even have. And so um, that's really important to me. And I was determined going into the UN role and to take that foundation and that ability to understand what it's like to be from an immigrant family, the, the, the truly the American dream, what people come to our great country for. I could really empathize too with those who in other countries who have not immigrated here, but their dream is that same hope that they can provide for the next generation a better life. I think that that was really unique in my role focusing on human rights and humanitarian assistance at the UN, because I could truly connect with the hope of so many all over the world that the United States can provide humanitarian assistance or aid. And I could really connect with so many around the world, I think, that need help in the human rights space, where they feel like their human rights have been violated. So it was a unique role to be in and, and one that I felt that um, both my skill set and my passions really came together for me to serve in that capacity. And as an immigrant family and with you as a first-generation American, a working-class family, your stories of acknowledging your parents coming home with burns on their hands and faces mm -hmm. from the cooking oil feels to me like it provided you a deep empathy mm -hmm. for what people have to do to realize not just their dreams, we talk about the American dream, but the very basics of security 
every day-to-day life. That's right. That's absolutely right. Because their story of immigrating here and the hard work that they have conducted over so many generations, me being able to see that firsthand, I really can relate to, um, especially during the pandemic, Lisa, some of the um, issues that we see people all over our country, all over our world facing today that is unprecedented. And I can really relate to that and the sacrifices and um, that parents are making right now to fight for what my parents were fighting for, which is just the next generation to have a better life. I think we all want that. I want that for my children. I know my parents wanted it for me. And it's just something that, you know, I think in the space of human rights and humanitarian aid, it really gave me a platform and an opportunity to kind of hone in on those issues and focus on it. And I must say that one of the biggest um, rewards or biggest honors of serving in that role and focusing in that space is that the United States is the single largest humanitarian donor in the world. And so talk about a platform to really be able to make a difference in this space and to really have our voices heard. Um, This was one of those roles. And when I stepped foot into the General Assembly Hall and I delivered the humanitarian um, resolution remarks on behalf of the United States, that was one of my life's greatest honors because There are so many people all over the world who look to the United States as their hope. And for me to be able to help shine our light brightly on that stage, to talk about the ways that we have helped the rest of the world, and to talk about and remind other countries of what we want to be able to tell our children that we did during this time, how we delivered aid to the rest of the world, and and to try to motivate those other countries to do the same, it really was such an honor. It made me just tremendously proud to be an American, to represent our country, and for all the work that we do as a country, and that each and every individual taxpayer makes a sacrifice so that we can go out and do that work in the rest of the world. And so that was something that for me was an incredible honor, and I almost feel like we came full circle because with my family prior to immigrating here, looking to the United States for hope, looking for leadership in the areas of um, human rights, you know, for, for them to immigrate here and then for me to be able to sit behind that United States placard and deliver those remarks. Um, it was really emotional for my family, my parents and my children, my children. I don't know that they fully understood it, but um, it was, I, I know that they will one day. And it was really remarkable. I have a photo of them watching me deliver those remarks. And it's something that I will always cherish. And um, it just goes to show just the trajectory that can change for a family, you know, by having opportunity. It really is an amazing story. And your grandparents and parents didn't just immigrate here for the promise of a better life. They were fleeing communism, weren't they? They were, they were. And so my family immigrated here from China and it's actually a story that, you know, it is somewhat heartbreaking, but I think the ending is good because they're all reunited now, but there was a significant amount of time between the time that my mom and her siblings were separated because they were in China and they, um, they fled and went to Hong Kong and then they immigrated from Hong Kong to the United States. And during that time, there were seven siblings and, um, 
three of them were separated from the other four. The other four were in China with um, other relatives who took care of them until they could all eventually immigrate to the United States. So we see time and time again, then and now, instances where families are separated and families make ultimate sacrifices to immigrate to our country. And in my family's situation, I'm grateful that they're all reunited here now, but at times it's very painful, but I think that that's what makes it more gratifying when um, we have the opportunity to serve our governments or our communities and we're able to give back and make a difference to a country that, you know, has given us so much. And so I'm really thankful for that opportunity. Take us through it. So this long journey of your life to arrive at the United Nations, an answered prayer to serve <laughs> your community and, and beyond, and boy, beyond, that's for sure. So you enter the United Nations gallery. You're preparing to walk to your seat sitting behind the United States placard to present the remarks on behalf of the US. What happens for you when you walk into that grand gallery? Well, when I walked in, it I mean, it's breathtaking to walk into that room. I mean, it's just, I've seen it on TV and I, I had actually toured the United Nations prior to this. So I had stepped foot into that um, General Assembly Hall before, but was never on the floor of the hall the way that you are when you are a delegate. And so it's uh, breathtaking and, and it was breathtaking the first time, it was breathtaking the last time. I mean, and every time in between, it was, I think for me, I just really tried to pause and soak it in. I mean, I was there and I took some photos. I sent them to my family. Um, but for me, it was just to pause and enjoy the moment because I was nervous delivering remarks um, on the General Assembly floor. But I really just thought this is a moment I need to take in and remember it um, forever and make sure that, you know, my I, I was also coordinating, making sure that my parents knew how to watch it and how and that my husband knew how to find it. And, and so there was a lot of those details as well. And then with COVID, it was a little bit different. It was a different experience because the number of delegates that could be on the floor was limited and the number of um, staff that we could take with us, all of that was really prohibited, but it was, it was really breathtaking to be, be there. You had this moment, you described it to me, it really painted a picture for me. I don't know if you're aware of how moving and pointing it was where you walk in for the first time as a delegate and you're taking it all in. And as you walk to your seat, you also have this realization of your Asian American-ness. Oh, that's right. When I walked in, you know, you can kind of, everyone, when you walk in, everyone can kind of see you because there's only one entrance in and one exit out. And um, I was looking for the United States placard. I had a general idea of where it was. And when I walked in, you know, I had this feeling that that the other delegates were looking at me and almost expecting that I might sit at the placard for an Asian country, but not the United States. And I walked in and I sat down at the United States and I could, I remember noticing people around me kind of look like that was interesting to them that I was taking the seat at the United States. And, and it was in a good way. I mean, it, I don't think that I would have ever understood until I was there is that when you're delivering remarks, other delegates are go taking bathroom breaks or going out to eat a snack. But when the United States is seated 
in their seat. They're about to give their remarks. It's all eyes. Everybody's in their seat. They're paying attention and they want to hear what the United States has to say. It's a remarkable honor to sit in that United States seat. I think probably every delegate from every country feels that it's a great honor, but I have to say, I think it's the greatest honor to sit in the United States seat. It, it was an interesting feeling where I could tell that there were folks all around me who just, they were really curious about it and really just kind of focused on it, waiting to hear some of the rem remarks that I would be delivering. It's such a cheer and a celebration of the diversity of our country. And, you know, this gives me such hope, great hope and inspiration for our future with more inclusivity, with more diversity represented. And here you are at the highest level of world influence, and you get to be the face and spokesperson for what is needed around the world. Tell us about the remarks and the resolution that you presented. Sure, there were quite a few. Um, the, the one I think that I mentioned earlier was one that really I really connected with on humanitarian resolutions. That was one that I feel like the United States has such a loud, incredibly loud voice on because as we are the single largest donor on humanitarian aid. And I believe last year alone, the United States provided over $10.5 billion of humanitarian aid um, to assist with a variety of issues around the world. And so that's one that is really important because I, I felt like everyone in the room was really focused on what we had to say in that space. There were some others that I delivered um, that were really meaningful as well. I delivered the remarks um, on anti-bullying. I delivered um, some remarks on women's rights that focused on women and children, and th that's very important to me as well. I delivered some interesting remarks on the South China Seas, which was part of the oceans debate, and those remarks focused on China trying to assert their territory in the South China Seas. Um, those were interesting remarks, I think, because just given the dynamics of my history, my role, and being able to be there and deliver remarks that were focused on that particular territory in that particular area. And, and that was an those were interesting remarks to deliver. And also because there's so much to learn in this role. And so there were issues and topics and things that I wasn't as familiar with a couple years ago. And over the past few years, I really had the opportunity to work with the State Department and educate myself on many of the issues that we were talking about at the UN. So those remarks and other remarks that were more focused on specific countries or specific topics, they were um, interesting for me personally because it showed me how far along we'd come from what I knew just a few years ago to the type of foreign policy that I had come to know over um, my time in this role. So the State Department is providing you information that you will then deliver as remarks and resolution at the UN. Any other agencies beside the State Department Fairly with the State Department, and they do a lot of work in the multilateral space. And so um, all of these remarks that were delivered had been vetted by many, many people and were very intentional and well thought out. And, and that's something I must say that I learned throughout this process is that 
there are going to be people that come and go in a variety of roles, but every person that I worked with at the State Department, these are the career uh, foreign and civil service diplomats and officers. They were some of the best people I've ever worked with. They are just so bright, so passionate, and I just feel so comforted as an American knowing that we've got such great individuals on the front lines of our country dealing with foreign policy. And as you have folks that come in in different roles and come in and out, um, and even with administration changes, you know, when, when there's large changes in those roles, those civil, I mean, career civil and foreign service officers are constant. It, it's really nice having worked with them to know and have firsthand experience of just how talented they are. So I feel really great about our, the State Department and the people that we have in those roles um, handling our foreign policy. What an interesting adventure. How many countries were represented at, at the UN while you were serving? Well, there are 192 other countries and um, I didn't interact with all of them, of course, but in the short time that I was there, I did have the opportunity to interact with many of them and um, negotiate with other delegations on resolutions that um, the United States wants and that advance our foreign policy initiatives. And uh, it was just nice to meet them and interact with other diplomats across the country, just even culturally. It was fascinating to learn some of the protocol involved and in, in the etiquette that's involved with um, dealing with diplomats from other countries. So a really remarkable opportunity that I never dreamt of ever having. Truly fascinating and enviable. What's next for you, Jennifer? I know you're raising your girls, you and your husband together and your extended family in Kentucky. It takes a village. We were just talking about that. What's next for you? Well, right now I'm focused on my law practice. I'm a tax nerd at heart, Lisa. So um, I've enjoyed taking a little bit of a break from it, but I did take my tax nerdiness to the UN and um, because some of my work did cross over with economic policy, economic foreign policy. And so um, I'm glad to be back in Kentucky and to focus on state and local tax, which is what I've done my entire career and raising my daughters and spending time with my husband and having a little bit more normalcy than we had last year. On top of the pandemic and being in New York City and um, just really a lot of uncertainty throughout the process, it's really nice to be home and um, have our kids back in school and try to get back, get back to some normalcy around here. Yeah, that's, that's really a, a, a good remedy for, for a life of adventure and busyness and, and service uh, at the level that you have been providing especially because you're a mom of daughters. I know that your remarks about anti-bullying at the United Nations was particularly meaningful for you. What can you tell us about that and, and, and how you want that to translate into the lives of not just your own girls, but girls in our community, in our state, and in our country? Sure. I think there's so many issues that women and children face all over the world that we as Americans really aren't even privy to or are exposed to. It wasn't until I was at the UN and I was working with the State Department and learning about issues that are going on in other countries, it was really an eye-opening experience because there are things that either we don't talk about here or if we do, there 
it's not talked about a lot. No one's ever really experienced it. And, um, and so the anti-bullying remarks were really important because it was the United States really speaking out against other countries that do continue to allow bullying of children or discrimination against women. And it's important, I think, that we find ways to help empower young women, young children, and how we can make it such that they have the training and the ability and the access that they need, that they can be successful. And so for me as a woman, as a mom, to be able to deliver remarks targeting those specific areas and trying to unleash and open some opportunity for women and children, it's very meaningful to me. And I think it's something that is important that we can do here in our country too, not so much just in outside of our country, but there are ways that we can focus on those same initiatives here. My goal is that we can, I can continue to make a difference, you know, wherever I am and whatever role the Lord has me in, in that at that time. And so while I intend to focus on my practice here, there's also an element where I intend to take some lessons learned from the UN and apply them here to my community. I think it's important that whatever platform we have and whatever role we're in, we understand that that's the role that's intended for us in that moment, in that chapter of our lives. And we try to use it for the best of our ability to um, live a life of significance in that moment. It's much different, I think, and much different of a platform, but the intent and the the meaning is still the same because there are always going to be people that interact with us that need help or that need inspiration. And so my hope is to be able to carry those lessons on in my everyday life here. You're an inspiration to us all, not just women my age, but children in our community and around the world. Just as we wrap up here, you and I were just talking about how sometimes as a kid, you think you know who you want to be as an adult, you think you know who you are and how that can just change. So carry us out today with a little bit of encouragement around being open to those changes and where you turn when you're looking for the inspiration to serve in a way that will make a difference in your community and beyond. Oh, well, what a great question to end on, Lisa. I mean, I think that it's always evolving and I didn't always feel that way. So I feel like that's something that I've learned and kind of grown into. But, um, you know, when I was younger, I always thought I wanted to get to a certain point in my career. And as we started off this dialogue, when I got to that point in my career, I searched for something else and I was looking for something more meaningful. And then just when I felt that I'd found that and I had a platform to really make a difference, life brought me back home. And now I'm looking at ways that I can make a difference here at home. And so I think it's always evolving what it is we want, what's appropriate for us in each particular chapter. And um, I always really, I, I trust the Lord's plan that I'm where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there, helping the people that he intends for me to help. And so particularly in this chapter, which is one right now, really transitional and change. Um, I'm really trying to embrace it. It's not something that I think I would have done previously, but it's something I'm really excited about because I do think that life is a journey. And I, I used to be more destination focused, if you will, but now I'm really trying to just enjoy the journey and um, understand that there's there is meaning in every chapter. Enjoy the journey. I'm with you, my new friend, Jennifer (laughs) Barber. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. 
You've been listening to The Women's Well, audio and music by Gabe Robitaille. To hear more interviews and empowering stories, subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts wherever you like to find your podcasts. Pretty please leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to read it and it will keep us going. Want to see the fabulous women you've been listening to? Check out our YouTube clips on my website, lisamillerbeautifulday.com and follow me on Instagram, lisamillerbeautifulday. Thank you for being with us at The Well. Join us again next week with another inspiring, ordinary, extraordinary guest.